Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Welcome to the, uh, to the Sundance TV HQ. We're so happy to have you today. It is uh, an exciting and inspiring day here at Sundance, and we're so happy you guys could join us. Uh, this is the close-up with the Hollywood Reporter Actors Panel, and I want to first introduce who will be, uh, Matt Bellany, the uh, esteemed editor of the Hollywood Reporter, who will be coming out with our talent. So, Matt, come on out. Hi there. Uh, welcome, everyone. Wow, we got a great crowd here. Um, I'm going to bring out our talent, and then I'm going to introduce them, and they'll tell everybody a little bit about the films they're here at Sundance with. Uh, this is sort of a live version of the Up Close of the Hollywood Reporter show that is on Sundance TV. Uh, set your DVRs if you haven't. Um, and without further ado, let's bring out the talent. <clears throat> we'll go. I'm going to introduce everybody once we're done. Yeah, just whatever seat you want. All right, uh, we are going to start down on the end of the panel with Laura Dern. Laura Dern is uh, she is a twice Oscar-nominated actress. She's been in some of my favorite films, Citizen Ruth, Rambling Rose, Wild, Jurassic Park. Um, she had a great HBO series called Enlightened, which I really enjoyed. Um, she is here with a film called Wilson, and we'll, we'll ask her about that um, after I introduce everyone else. Next is Jay Duplass. Jay is a genuine Sundance Film Festival success story. He came here in 2005 with a film he did with his brother Mark called The Puffy Chair. Um, and he has since been in dozens of films as a actor, writer, director, producer. Um, he is currently starring in the Amazon series Transparent. And he is here at Sundance with two films as an actor, Beatrice at Dinner and Landline. Uh, Next, we've got uh, Zoe Lister-Jones. <laughs> Zoe has, uh, has appeared in several uh, television shows and films. She, you might know her from Life in Pieces, a CBS show. She's been on New Girl. She was on Whitney. Um, she is here with a film... Uh, called Band-Aid, in which, well, I'll let you describe it, because you and Adam probably want to both describe it, but uh, let's say hello to Zoe. Hey. All right, next we have uh, Kumail Nanjani. He, uh, he is a comedy veteran who has been on in several films and TV shows. Many people probably know him as Dinesh on Silicon Valley, one of my favorite shows. 
Um, he is here as the star and co-writer of the film The Big Sick, which premiered last night and is getting amazing reviews already. And uh, he'll tell you a little bit more about that. And finally, we have Adam Pally. Adam uh, was one of the stars of a great show called Happy Endings on ABC. He's appeared on a bunch of TV shows, Mindy Project, New Girl, a bunch of others. Uh, and he... I was never on New Girl. Oh, you weren't? No, but I you've just, seen it, right? I just look like both the other Jews on that show. <laughs> that could be it. All right. Uh, I could have sworn. All right, maybe I got to mix up. Um, and he's been in a bunch of indie films, Joshy, a couple others. Uh, he is here also with Band-Aid, in which he stars with Zoe. So uh, we're going to start down in the end. I just want to give a, a little bit of, of background on the films that you guys are here with. Um, we'll start with, with Laura. And, and just tell us what the film's about and kind of how it came to be. is Wilson. Um, it's based on a graphic novel by Daniel Klaus, who also wrote Ghost World and many other amazing graphic novels, um, which he adapted. And it's been directi being directed by Craig Johnson, who was here with the film Skeleton Twins a couple of years ago. We love it so much. Wilson is played by Woody Harrelson. And he's so incredible in the film. And we had the best time of our lives um, working in Minneapolis as a family. Uh, so the entire group who made the movie are all here from our production designer team. Um, the DP, I love so much, Fred Elms. We were here in Sundance many years ago because he shot both Blue Velvet and Wild at Heart. He's one of our greatest cinematographers, so the movie what, looks what, beautiful. What was your first Sundance experience? What year were you here? Um, 1985. Wow. Yeah, with a film called Smooth Talk. And it's a little different nowadays. Yes. There were, I think, 11 of us. We had dinner with Robert Redford. I was 14 and very excited to be here. Yeah, when do we get to have dinner with Robert Redford? Uh, it's next. It's Don't next. we all? happens when it's small? <laughs> That's the big reveal after this panel. I've actually had dinner with Robert Redford. No, you haven't. Yeah, uh, it was right after we shot an episode of New Girl together. We, um... He was fantastic on New Girl. Terrific. He played the girl. All right, Jay, uh, how about your films here? Um, in a movie called Landline, which is um, written by Liz Holm and, and Gillian Robespierre and directed by Gil, and uh, it's their follow-up film to Obvious Child as a team, and um, it's uh, Jenny Slate and John Turturro and Edie Falco and me, and I'm still trying to figure out why I'm in that movie. Um, and then I'm also in this movie called uh, Beatrice at Dinner, premiering Monday, uh, directed by Miguel Arteta and written by Mike White, your collaborator. Um, and uh, it's, I think it's going to be exciting and explosive. It's kind of a, um, it has a Trump character in it, and it's unfortunately very timely. Okay. And you were here in 2005. What was that experience like, just uh, the, the, the discovery moment? You could park on Main Street. That was the best part. <laughs> you just, like, draw. Well, you... Yeah, we couldn't afford a condo in this area, so we, like, stayed halfway to Salt Lake City, but we would, like, drive right in and, like, park on Main Street and then um, act like we were other people to try and get into parties. That was, Did it work? No. <laughs> but then people saw our movie, and they were like, please come to our party, and we will detain you and force-feed you things and take photographs of you 
and then we realized we didn't want to be at the party. We just wanted to be at our condo watching Splash on VHS. Wow, that's very specific. All right, uh, Zoe, why don't you tell us about Band-Aid? If you, Adam, want to chime in, you can. No, he can't chime in when I'm talking. Um, uh, Band-Aid, I, I wrote, directed, and produced uh, Band-Aid, and I star alongside Adam Pally and uh, Fred Armisen and a great cast, um, Hannah Simone, Colin Hanks, Brooklyn Decker, um, Ravi Patel, Retta. Um, and it's the story of a couple who can't stop fighting and decide to turn all their fights into songs and start a band. <laughs> and uh, so Adam, Fred, and I are in a band, and we played all the music live, which was super fun. And um, It was an all-female crew. It was an all-female crew, <laughs> which was rad. Um, so I did the march this morning every day. Yeah, I mean, it does feel uh, timely as well to be premiering this this week um, with the Women's March and, and how incredibly empowering that was today. It was wonderfully empowering to be on a set of all women. How did that happen? Did you just say, this is my movie, I want this to happen, and it happened? No, you think it was just a coincidence? No, but yeah. of course... <laughs> like, wait a not, minute. But do you have to say, and was there, was there any reservation on, on you know, the backers' behalf? No, no reservations. Um... Yeah, I actually had someone ask me, like, did that just happen organically? And I was like, yeah, bro, that happened organically. Um, no, it's super deliberate and, um, and challenging, uh, especially in certain departments like camera and grip and electric. Those are um, departments where you rarely see women. Um, and so that was a big part of the reason why I did it was I wanted to give opportunities to women in departments where it's harder for them to, um, to get those opportunities and to give opportunities to women who might not have the experience on their resume because of the sort of double standard that we're faced with in our industry. Um, and then also to just foster an environment where women could be their most confident, creative selves, which uh, it was. It was it was rad. All right, Kumail, tell us about your film. And, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting project because it's so autobiographical. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. We had a strictly male crew. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. And that was deliberate. I've always called you the Indian Piers Morgan. <laughs> Even though I'm the Pakistani Pierce Morgan. <laughs> I tried to think of someone else as shitty as Pierce and couldn't come up with anything. Um, <clears throat> so it's a movie called The Big Sick, and I'm in it, and my wife, Emily Gordon, and I wrote it, and it's about, uh, it's very autobiographical. It's sort of uh, the story of us meeting and the issues we had with my parents, and she uh, got really, really ill. And so it's sort of the story of that. And Zoe Kazan plays Emily, and Holly Hunter and Ray Romano play her parents. Um, and yeah. And I was joking that it wasn't an all male crew. Uh, and Adam, you already, we already talked a little bit about your film. Anything from your perspective working on a film with an all female uh, crew? Um, yeah, it was amazing. It was, uh, it was beautiful. It was like, um, I think I learned a lot of things about myself and about men generally. I mean, I, not, I know not all men exhibit certain behaviors, but um, there were definitely differences to be noticed, uh, such as um, uh, w men feel that men aren't scared of anything because they're, they, f they feel like nothing. There's a certain bulletproof aspect to men, even though a lot of us don't realize it. So no matter your department, you feel 
uh, emboldened to give your ideas. And while uh, in some ways that can be great, in other ways it slows the fucking day down. <laughs> because I have to hear, you know what you should say? Why don't you say this? You know, you know and you're like, uh, okay, uh, thank you. You know, wh- wh- who, f- why, w- in what other world would, uh, would it be comfortable for um, someone in a different department to walk over to another department and go, you know, I never done that before, but uh, I got some things I think could help you out. Why? I don't know, I got dick. Um, and like, so when you took all of that out, we made every day. We were, you know, never behind. Um, we were, it was an independent film. There were no uh, trailers and stuff like that, but it was incredibly comfortable. No one uh, insulted each other. No one, um, there was no need to because it was like this kind of beautiful unit moving together in every way and the 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 goal was just to make a good movie. And I think that meant sometimes the goal can be to do a good job. And uh, it, that's, you know, can cut yourself off at the knees. All right, so I'll ask some questions. And then uh, towards the end, we'll open it up for a couple questions from the audience. So if you have questions you've always wanted to ask these actors, uh, start thinking. I, I wanted to start with Laura. And this is a question that I've, I've asked before in other panels and always tends to elicit interesting responses. Uh, you're obviously an actor who has choices on what you choose to do and don't do. What is the one overarching thing that causes you to say yes to a project? Um, I think it's it starts with the filmmaker uh, traditionally. And for me, traditionally, it's been about telling human stories. But starting very recently for the next four years, it's going to be um, a demand for the deepest human stories uh, that can hopefully unify us and dig deeper and expose us and expose this curious place where we want so much to believe that it can be different and that our dreams can come true that we'll believe what we're told. And I have a lot of empathy for people who want to believe even in liars and bullies. So I think it's a really exciting time to get to be in the arts and to get to be a community. And so I, I, that's at the forefront of my brain right now in terms of choice. Um, choice being <laughs> one of the key words um, to protect our choice in, in all ways and as artists to tell those kinds of stories. So I'm excited to have that fever. It's interesting that the current political climate is influencing the choices you're making as an artist. Do others feel that way? Do you think the next four years are going to be a better or worse time for the arts? Uh, I think it's going to be challenging. Um, I think great art usually comes out of tough times, but which is hopeful. But I think the fight... Um, I think the fight is going to be not to suppress ideas that don't conflict with someone else's agenda. Uh, and so while it seems safe now, because we're kind of just kind of seeing it unfold, uh, as soon as someone says that you, you know, they won't give you money to make a movie about a certain subject, that's dangerous waters. And so I think that it's going to be, it's going to take a lot more than just, you know, us all looking for stuff like that. It's going to take the people with money to decide that 
they don't care that there may be a negative ramification like the president of the United States directly tweeting at you. <laughs> um, you know, they, th it's on them, I think, because mon money, it, it's just the fact, it drives a lot of this. So uh, we, can all, we can all write it and we can all act it and bring it, but it takes the people with actual money and power to grow balls and say, I don't agree with that, and I'm going to put it out for everyone to see. How about you, Kumail? Do you think, do you think I mean, you have a film here uh, at Sundance that's for sale, and you know, is this kind of bullying that's going on uh, going to stifle certain types of, of films? Yeah, I think we're all going to end up in jail. <laughs> I'm only half joking. Um, I think it's... Uh, I think what Adam said is very interesting. I've already heard stories of certain types of uh, movies uh, not getting funded because people are afraid of the president tweeting at them. Um, and uh, I think... Yeah, it's, uh, I would much rather be in a happy, peaceful time making terrible art, <laughs> you know? It's good that we'll get to make good art, but I wish we didn't have to. <laughs> I do think, though, there is a... I think the, our lenses as artists are being focused, as they are just as humans, and, and sort of the birth of a new generation of activists who I think we all could kind of just be in a, a very happy place with Obama for so many years. Um, I think we'll also heighten our awareness of intersectionality and diversity um, in the filmmaking process and on screen, which I'm, I'm hoping is a good product of this era. I think when, we're, when we are really fo forced to acknowledge how broken so many systems in this country are, um, that hopefully will inspire people to address that in their art. Interesting. Um, different question for, for Jay. As, as an actor and as someone who's done a lot of directing and writing and producing, when you are just acting, do you feel frustrated at the lack of control? See, I know everything, so it's hard when you know, no. I, I have been, I mean, I feel a little weird being up here because I recently started acting. I mean, Transparent is really my first acting gig. I am p insanely aware of how lucky I was to sort of slide sideways into what is an incredible show made by incredible human beings uh, in my neighborhood that's at the forefront of a civil rights movement. It's insane. Um, Wait, it shoots in your neighborhood? Yeah. You have it so good. I know. <laughs> My, fr my actor friends hate my guts. <laughs> yeah, I got to drive all the way to the west side. <laughs> Guys, acting is hard. <laughs> it's super hard being an actor. Um, uh, so I, my first experience was with Jill Soloway, who is um, channeling gods and goddesses and creating change in the world. And um, your job is to just show up and be a human being who can fall down on their face. Um, and I guess because of that project, I've been lucky enough to just sort of, you know, work under Gillian Robespierre and work under Miguel Arteta. These are like, you know, the most amazing directors that you can work with. So I've been lucky to um, just submit to them. And I, for me, it's been a joy because I, I guess through becoming an actor, I guess in midlife, I've had this weird experience of... Um, realizing that I'm, I'm, I can do it as a director, but as a director, you're kind of like the, 
the mommy and the daddy of the whole world. And, and that's a really hard, hard thing to do, to carry, as you know. And, uh, and, and I kind of like just being like the, the, the drunk uncle who shows up at Christmas with some Oreos and makes everybody happy and then gets the hell out of there, you know? It's, en it's enjoyable. Walks home. And walks home and everybody's like, that guy was great! Um, uh, so it's been, I just feel lucky that I've been able to walk into this world. But I also, there's some other cool things about it that I've learned that, like, you know, I've, I've always been the person in my family where everyone in my family is like, can you stop having all of the, all of the feelings that you're having because you're making us incredibly uncomfortable? <laughs> and now I'm getting paid for that, so it's pretty cool. Uh, you often hear actors say that the difference between TV shows, uh, working on TV and working in film is that you never, the, there's a frustration in not knowing where the character's arc ends. A lot of you here do both film and TV. Do you feel that way? Start with Kumail. Oh, hey. Um, well, I, it is interesting because a lot of comedy is about sort of stasis and characters not really learning and growing. And so you sort of um, tell, uh, those, these are characters that are stuck in limbo and their problems are their problems and their problems stay their problems, whereas in a... In a film, I think generally there's some growth happening. Um, I, so it is very different, but I think even if you get to do like, if you get to do a TV show for many years, like we're in season four of Silicon Valley, and I feel very lucky that we get to do that, it, it's fun to be able to find new layers within your character, even though he's not becoming successful professionally or with ladies or in any aspect of his life. Have, has Mike or Alec told you where Dinesh ends up eventually? Uh, no, but I think we all know. <laughs> it's not a happy ending. Um, so I think that's what's interesting is that in a movie, it's, there, there are more obvious, uh, there's more obvious character growth, but on a TV show, I think you can find sort of new layers within the ballpark that you sort of stay in the whole time. Uh, it's been fun to play the same guy for four years. How about you, Laura? Um, well, that was beautifully put, and I have to say I'm naive about it because I haven't done it for enough time to know, and I had the luxury of Mike White, your writer, who, um, when we did Enlightened, we everything was written before we did it. I mean, it's like the greatest... Good fortune. So I, I also was playing a stuck person, and it wasn't going to end well. <laughs> but you know, there was incremental growth, and we knew where we were moving and what the goal was. So it felt like a long-form feature, um, which I think a lot of cable is now, especially because there are so many limited series happening, um, thanks to various cable networks. Um, so it really is like making an eight-hour movie. So there's like this other genre people are getting to play in uh, that I think is really inspiring. One, I was reading some of your past interviews last night, and one thing I, that struck me is you said when you were acting in Jurassic Park, it felt as raw as any independent movie I've ever done. H how is that possible, working in such a uh, huge budget Steven Spielberg blockbuster movie? Well, an amazing thing. It was the first CGI movie. So there were a bunch of people standing around going, how are we going to do that? Like, we've got to make dinosaurs. Like, what? And I remember this man named Dennis Murin, now running ILM, was there. And literally with a computer. It was so crazy that we were like, 
wow, it's a small computer. It's not like the big desktop. He's carrying it around the set with him. I mean, it was such a bizarre moment. It was right before everyone had this, you know, all these devices. So they were painting and inventing. And thanks to the amazing Stan Winston, we also had the most incredible puppets. So we were also working with animatronics and really scary creatures, not just pretending. Um, but Steven was reinventing the wheel, and he is an incredible independent force. I mean, the movies he's given us, they were the first ones that then everyone is modeling their film after. I mean, they're so iconic. So when we think back to Close Encounters, it's such an iconic, mind-blowing moment because no one else had done it, or E.T., or a lot of other films. Um, and so it was a really, it was a really raw, wild ride. And also, it was this, what, when was it, 93? 93 it came out. So it was 1993, and it was this big dinosaur movie. And I was a feminist in the middle of it, and there was a focus on it, and there were these, you know, amazing quotes that people have been using lately, these kind of great, you know, feminist statements in the middle of it, too, which... I mean, now it's however long later and you're kind of looking for movies that are a genre movie where there is a female protagonist that is turning lights back on and the guys are stuck and she's out there like making things happen. And you have to battle say, wouldn't it be great if the girl actually went and turned on there? No, that's, that's crazy talk. But we did that, you know, in the 40s, Rosalind Russell did it and Barbara Stanwyck did it. So it's amazing that you have to keep reinventing things that have already I, been done. I should see this movie. It's really good. It's awesome. Chris Pratt is great. <laughs> yeah. He's amazing. There's dinosaurs? He's amazing, yeah. yeah. There, and they come that, to life. There's that, the famous scene where you and Sam Neill, you know, we see your faces seeing the dinosaurs before we see the dinosaurs. What were you looking at in real life while filming that scene? Incredible piece of paper. Really? <laughs> it had an X on it. <laughs> made by a Sharpie. I'm just letting you know. Interesting. Um, you know, a lot of a couple of you guys have comedy backgrounds. Do do you think, and you hear this a lot, that that actors with comedy backgrounds, especially improv, uh, have a, a better time transitioning into drama? Did you find, that, uh, Adam, that that your comedy background comes in handy when doing drama? Um, yeah, I think I think that uh, um, certain kind of rules and 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 of any education and acting is good to then throw out and just kind of go and do it. But I do think that there is, I think comedy, comedy is really hard because uh, laughter is, uh, I always screw these, these ones, subject, subjective or objective. Laughter is subjective. Subjective. Thank you. Um, <laughs> laughter is subjective uh, and uh, like fear, fear is kind of not in a different way. And it can be manipulated a little easier. Um, and so th for something to be funny, it kind of has to be truthful. And for something to be scary, it doesn't. Or for something... So, 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 or, and I'm, I'm just using fear as an emotion, but there's other emotions. So I think... I don't know. I think that there's a certain level where if you can do comedy and you're playing something, you're looking for that truthfulness all the time, then it, it makes it a little easier when you can look for that, look for that truthfulness but then you don't have to like come up with something funny to say before you leave the scene, you know? I would say also, especially um, for someone like 
Adam, who comes from the improv world, um, or any of us who, who you know, improvise not as professionally. Um, that's so much about living in the present moment. I mean, that's what you're living or dying by. And so I think in terms of transitioning into drama, it's, it's super seamless just because to be a great dramatic actor only means that you are living in the moment um, and listening. And, and listening is, is really just all acting is most of the time. Uh, you guys have all worked with great producers. And I, I, a question for Kumail. You worked with Judd Apatow on this film. He's had great success in taking these emerging, you know, younger voices like Lena Dunham and Amy Schumer and now you and trans turn essentially turning them into uh, commercially successful artists that people are, you know, drawn to. What, what do you think it is about his approach that has uh, had so much success? Well, I'm excited to break his streak. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's very good at uh, taking people's essential points of view and... Um, sort of formatting them into, without diluting them into movies or TV shows or whatever it is. So he's very, very good at understanding, like, all right, this is what this person's voice is. This is how you can adapt that voice to another uh, broader format without di diluting it. And he's, uh, he's really, really, I mean, girls, I mean, I've never seen a show like that. Like, that was a really, really great show. And um, now I'm just gonna talk about girls for a while. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and he did that, you know, with Seth Rogen. Um, so he's he's very and Amy, of course. Yeah, he's uh, he's very nurturing, and he's 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 got a lot of uh, great advice. What was the best and worst part of doing something so autobiographical? Uh, the the it, it, it's that in the best case scenario, everyone knows all my garbage, you know. Um, if everybody watches the movie, they'll know way more about me than I'm realizing I'm comfortable people knowing. I think it, what's, what's cool about it is that you, you get to tell your story and you know whether it feels real or not. You know? so, so you always have that barometer when you're doing something autobiographical, you know when it feels fake and that's, that's, that's great. And then, but you are a little bit, when you're sharing, when you sort of make a movie and tell everybody, you're losing, it used to just be our story, mine and Emily's story, and now it's sort of not just, it doesn't just belong to us, you know, and I feel like that's, um, you know, you lose a little something there. Did it freak you out casting your parents? My parents? Casting actors to play your parents. Yeah, well, I asked my dad, I was like, who do you want to play you? And he said, Anupam Kher, who's this really huge Bollywood actor. And we were like, all right, I'll call you later, dad. But then we were able to get him, which was really, really great, uh, really exciting. And that was the only time my parents, uh, they've never really, really talked to me about my comedy or anything too much. But they heard that Anupam Kher was going to be in the movie and they came and they visited set and my dad got a picture with him. And both of them texted me separately that night like, hey, I think you're doing okay. Um, and I was like, this is what it takes, huh? On the subject of parents, I mean, Laura, you come from an, an actor family. What's something that your father taught you about acting? Your father, Bruce Stern. Oh, uh, so many things, but I, um, I think the, um, probably the thing that has stuck with me the most is that he um, loved playing the most flawed people possible. I mean, in 
when I was a little girl, he was so hated for killing John, being the one person to kill John Wayne in a movie. So that was my first impression of, you know, who my dad was. And um, he really understood the idea of finding compassion in these deep, dark places and has always been incredibly fearless about playing really complicated, flawed people um, and not wanting to be pigeonholed and always allowing it to be different. So that would be one thing. And another thing is um, my dad made this film, Nebraska, two years ago. And it was so beautiful. It's such a beautiful movie. And it was so beautiful watching him do press and come to festivals and talk like we are today about making movies and the privilege of being an actor with so much joy. It was like he was a 10-year-old. And just to be reminded at the lifelong commitment when you have a passion to something and how the party just gets better and better if you're, if you're in for the ride of your life, which my parents are. So it's a beautiful thing to be raised around. Now, you just finished work on the new Star Wars film. Did you work with Carrie Fisher at all? I was around Carrie, yes. And, and did you have a relationship, and, and did you know her? I knew her for many years, and, um, and yes, more recently spent time with her. And, uh, yeah, we all miss her. And what an extraordinary female icon, an icon not only in the character of Princess Leia, but as this incredibly brave these guys can speak about one of the most hilarious writers and personalities and wits and brains we ever had, fearless about talking about her life, um, her personal history, her relationship to her mother. I mean, just speaking of autobiography and the challenges and bravery in it, um, she was extraordinary. Um, do you guys have a clear path that you would like to go on as actors? Do you have a thing, in two years I'd like to be here, in five years I'd like to be here, or is it a take what comes to me mentality? Oh my God, I'm exhausted. <laughs> you don't have to answer I was just way. like, shit, are we supposed to, oh, sorry. <laughs> are we supposed to have a path? I, no, no, I, but I, that's what I'm curious I about. I feel like if, you, if uh, uh, this is gonna sound judgy, but uh, if, if I'm, had a friend who was an actor who was like, man, in two years I'm going to be there, I, I think I'll be like, okay, uh, I'm going to go home now because you're a sociopath. Because <laughs> um, this is, I think you have to know it when you get in. This is, a like Laura said, this is a, a, a ride of, of your entire life. And so, yeah, you, could, you maybe will achieve that goal in two years, but then that goal is going to go away because it's not a full-time like we're not getting full-time jobs here ever and so that goal is going to go away and then you're going to be disappointed then for the next two years and then maybe that two years turns into 10 years where you're totally disappointed and disillusioned and not getting the work you want so what was the point of saying 12 years ago in two years i'm going to be here it, it all doesn't matter you it, uh, one of the things that i that my dad told me um who is here by the way who is here hey. Um, who, who was an actor. Very uh, handsome man. Yeah. Well, anytime they have to pick a dad for me, my dad's always like, what is, would Richard Gere do TV? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like yeah, not as my dad. Um, but uh, anyway, so one of the things that he told me, because he was an actor from, for a lot of my childhood, um, and, then, and then switched to another career, 
and a physician. A physician. He's Good so, fallback. He's very smart. Uh, he knows the difference between subjective and objective. Um, <laughs> but uh, but one one of the things he told me when I when I first started was that uh, comparison um, will cut you down because it's a it's everybody's journey. If this is what you're doing. Um, then you just have to keep doing it, whether it's for no money, for $5, for a million dollars, for $10 million. The, the, the jobs will go like this and this and this, but your job is to just be what you are, um, which is a, an entertainer. And so especially coming up in comedy, I think Kumail, we've, we've kind of wrote it similarly at the same time, um, it's so odd because you're in a group of people that you see regularly trudging up the same hill and then all of a sudden a Judd Apatow says, you, not you, you, you're the one. And then, you know, someone else goes, you, n- not you, and definitely not you, you're the one. You should become a physician. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so the, the only thing that you can do is say, well, that, that he means now. maybe, you know, it's not, or he or she means now. It's not for the entire scope of my career, but for right now. And so that lets you go into every room with zero fear because you know you're, like, you're probably not going to get it, but if you do, you're definitely not going to get the next one. And so you just got to, you know, wake up and go to work and come home and, you know, be a good person. I do think it is hard. Um, One of the challenges of being an actor, aside from... Commutes, which I would say is probably number one, oh, it's um, horrible. is is uh, being able to celebrate those seminal moments that when when you have achieved something that that you maybe have dreamed of, not in terms of like in two years I want to be here, but something that has lived within you for so long. And because the fear of that disappointment of the fall can be so hard, it's it's really hard to be present for the moments when you've risen. So. Um, I don't really have a point in saying that, but I like to complain about things. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jay- true. That's very true. Uh, Jay, did you ever consider other career paths besides this? Um, like directing? <laughs> no, well, outside the business. <laughs> yeah, like writing and directing and producing. Um, well, Mark and I grew up in New Orleans, and... Um, when you grow up in New Orleans, there's like one model of what a successful artist can be, and that is a 55-year-old black musician <laughs> who drives a Cadillac. And we wanted it so bad. <laughs> and um, I'm embarrassed to say I was part of the white boy late 80s funk movement. Uh, that didn't move too far. It didn't go very far. I, I did not achieve... Falling into movement is weird. Yeah. It was a stationary. <laughs> it was. I did not achieve musical greatness, nor blackness, uh, despite my deep desires. Um, I mean, honestly, I just went to college and was going to be like a psychologist or something like that. And... Um, uh, I luckily went to college in 1991 in Austin, Texas, during you know Richard Linklater's uh, created Slacker and Robert Rodriguez had just created El Mariachi. It was kind of like the hub of DIY filmmaking. You know, like before that time, it's hard to imagine now because anyone can buy a 5D and a microphone. 
Um, but at that time, you had to have minimum $20,000 to make a movie. And I saw those guys like walking around Austin, Texas, and they wore white t-shirts and jeans and tennis shoes, and they looked like us, you know? And, and the fact that they had made movies was like a real wake-up call to, to be like, oh, movies are just not like pumped in over this thing called cable, you know, so that I can like smoke weed and watch them. Um, <laughs> they, they are, kind of, but p human beings make these movies, and it was like really uh, just a stroke of luck that I went to school there because we love movies, we just didn't, you know, we just didn't think that you could ever do it. All right, I, th I just looked and that is the time we have, so I'm gonna open it up to a couple questions from the audience, one there. What do you wish you had known when you started as an actor? How much wet Dover sole I was going to eat at lunch <laughs> for the rest of my life. This Dover sole is always so wet. Why? What's wrong with grilling the Dover sole? Why do we have to boil it? And then there's that water that sits in that tray that smells like the Dover sole. There's just got to be a better way to do it. That's Try it. I'm not done. <laughs> Try out the Dover sole. Are you done uh, now? No, I'm still not done, Matthew. <laughs> Matt, could you please? Thank you, Kumail. I, Matt, here, I'll, give me that. Yeah. And do, what do, about your, a, do your Dover sole riff. What about a salmon? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What about salmon? Thank you. And have you seen have you have you seen this? Have you heard about this? We've all heard about it. Broccoli Rob. Gross. Why can't I get a piece of regular broccoli? It's got I got to get a wet one. Why are we so concerned with wetting our foods at lunch? We hate wet foods. Thank you. What else is in the news? <laughs> all right, that that is definitely the answer you wanted, right? Anyone else have, a, have a, a lot of pressure now? Anyone else have an answer? Preferably not food-related? What if I just did word-for-word word that Dover Soul thing again? And then I'll be back here being like, yes! <laughs> we just, like, crushed the Dover Soul industry. <laughs> All right, right here in the front. Hi, Dylan Dempsey, No Film School. Kind of a follow-up question to that. What advice would you guys have for any of the emerging or aspiring actors, comedians, filmmakers, writers, artists, you know? Advice to people coming up? I would say create your own material. I mean, it's a really amazing way to write the roles that you want to get. Um, and, you know, as Jay was saying, now more than ever, it's um, pretty easy to, to, to go find a group of people to make stuff. I mean, the technology is pretty incredible. So I would say, yeah, go write something and find a group of people that you like working with and, and make it. Where do you live? Okay, so you're on the right path. <laughs> Get to a coast and... Lock your door. Lock your door. Because <laughs> the inner cities are burning. Um, no, get, get to a coast, and then if you truly believe that there's nothing else that you can do, then you're going to make it. 
But if you have gone to medical school it and helps. think it that helps. you could become a physician. It helps. There's good money there, and yeah. there will be now with the with Obamacare going away, too. Uh, all right, in the, with the hat in the front back there. Uh, how's it going, Matt Hunter, Business Lunch Productions? Um, you said earlier comparison. Business lunch? lunch? Yeah, Business Lunch. Oh, where do you guys stand on Dover Soul? <laughs> I can tell where they stand, it's on business. Harrison will cut you down. That really stuck with me, by the way. But I want to ask you guys... It just happened. <laughs> I would hope it stuck with you. It was 15 minutes ago. Um, well, so how do you guys throughout your entire careers in such a dense world of art, being on the coast and TV and film, and in the world, too, in your art form and outside, how do you keep the blinders on healthily and stay on your own path? without worrying about the other people in the lane beside you. It's super difficult. It's, it's the hardest thing I think I have to do all the time because uh, jealousy in this industry is super easy and it seeps in everywhere. I'm jealous right now of Kumail. <laughs> um, so you, there's no way not to. Uh, I think you just have to kind of accept it and then work really hard to not let those, to, to know that those feelings are natural, you know? I feel like the answer to every question at like a filmmaker panel is like, make something great. Make, and that, that sounds gross if you're not thinking about it the right way, but a lot of uh, people are, are making things and they're comparing and they're wondering like, how am I gonna get distribution? How am I gonna get this? And I think the reality is that it's, when I talk to buyers and film festival programmers, what you hear all the time is it's when an actual film that's well made, that's a story that's uniquely told, is incredibly rare. That is the ultimate challenge. And if you do that, you will get traction. You may not get a three picture deal just yet, but you will reach people and then those people will tell you what to do next. They will help guide you if you're listening to them as your audience because it's a communication and it's just about your inner stuff coming out and matching other people's stuff in this constant exchange. I mean, I was thinking about it when you guys were talking about comedy and, and what the difference between comedy and drama is. I think one of the great things about comedy is that it forces you to always immediately consider the receivers of what it is that you have to offer. And because if they don't laugh, you are irrelevant. You're irrelevant immediately. You're the, re the reverend. You're the revenant. You're the revenant. You're the revenant. Yes. That movie was not funny at all. It, it wasn't. You didn't think so? you know, I don't know, man. That bear was hilarious. Was it was. Too. Right. You're right. I did die. That laughing. bear was great. It was kind of like um, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio was like. Um, he was a little bit like um, Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that is true, but without any helpers. No helpers <laughs> whatsoever. He could have used those guys. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was saying, but yeah, make good stuff and show it to enough people, and if they tell you that it's not working, believe them, and then just keep doing it. Zoe, how long did it take you to get Band-Aid made? Um, well, I, I wrote it uh, over the course of probably four or five months. Um, 
And then it was a pretty quick process getting it made when I, I went to my producer, Natalia Anderson, who's in the audience tonight, and said, do you want to go make a movie uh, with an all-female crew? And she was like, yeah. And so I think from that conversation to the first day of production, it was five months. Oh, wow. That's quick. Uh, okay, question here. Oh, well, she'll be next. She'll be next. I think, you know, that's an interesting question. I feel like I don't think, for me personally, any specific project, I think the demands of diversity of each specific project are different. I think across the breadth of projects, there should be diversity. But I I don't think that every, every, every piece of entertainment... I think, oh my God, I'm getting in trouble right now. I don't think every piece of entertainment has to have, has to represent every single, do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? Because I, I don't want to finish talking, otherwise people will quote me. <laughs> uh, this, the tweets the, have already gone out. I, so have a thought, I have a thought that goes back to that guy's question before. Do you have any questions for me? <laughs> Blank stare. All right. We have, we have time for one more, and it will be the woman who has had her hand up the whole time. Um, my question is for Anna and for Jay. But for everyone who's been, who has done so many different jobs in the film industry, how do you balance all of your different hats? Like, you're acting, you're writing, you're directing, you're producing your own work. Like, how do you guys keep it all together and like, balancing all these different projects? Like, um, Mark's and my philosophy from day one has just been to make movies and not make meetings. That is the biggest difference that I would say between what we do and what everyone in the industry we notice does. We get asked to do meetings all the time, and we just say no. If I have to drive all the way across town and spend four hours doing a meeting... Um, it's all back to the commute, you guys. It's all back to the commute. It will take four hours away from stuff that, that we are making. And I, it's pretty good because I can trust... I, Laura and I have been fans of each other for a long time, and I just met her, and we were like, we've never actually talked. And it's probably because I'm like hiding away on the east side of LA, just kind of like making stuff. And you you would never meet me. You did? Yeah, so I I think you should make make time for more meetings. I should probably make, I'm gonna change that now. This is is awkward. Well, now you're gonna have to. meetings (laughs) out here. You're gonna have to get a new tattoo, Jay. I am. One meeting, just one meeting, please. Yes, it happens now. All right, I was going to end it, but one last question. All right. On that note, that's not really a question, but on that note, we will end uh, the panel. I'd like to thank the rest of the panel, uh, Laura, Jay, Zoe, Kumail, and Adam. Thanks to everyone. And as a special gift, I get to now be Oprah Winfrey. 25 of the people that are sitting in the chairs, there are DVDs of Top of the Lake from Sundance TV underneath your chair. Uh, in celebration of the new season of Top of the Lake that is coming out. It's a great show. You should watch it. So uh, thanks to everyone for coming.